Agua. When creating a new company, what's most important? Your mission, um, your partners, or your operating plan? I would put your values. Interesting. And so, um, obviously, you have to have a mission. Obviously, you have to have you know, an operating plan, etc. A team member, of course. Right. But um, I, I think it's you know the, the mission may change as conditions change. For example, your team is going to change as the company scales. But hopefully, your values are, are the bedrock that, that holds it together. You know, over the years, I built these uh, 14 operating principles that I try to live by, whether it's a company I'm investing in or one that I'm running myself. Now, I'll give you one example. One of my values is give generously, don't keep score. And I'm not saying it to be like virtual signaling or anything. I have plenty of flaws and all that, but it, um, I do feel that that's an important value for me because those that come, come to you in a, a business with a generous heart instead of a selfish one, those that go after an opportunity filled with abundance instead of scarcity, tend to seize the opportunity much more than those who are you know, trying to protect uh, a smaller pie. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Sanchez. This is the Rick Sanchez Podcast. And all we spent a lot of time here, right, talking about the things that matter to all of us from a business standpoint and most importantly, how we grow. I mean, you're only as good as your value, right? And it's growing your value, making yourself a little better every single day because that's how you're judged. That's what determines how big a paycheck you're going to make. And that's going to determine whether one day you'll get to the point where you get to write your own damn paycheck because that makes you an entrepreneur. And that's really, really important. But one of the most important things in entrepreneurship, as I learned, and you know, we've talked about this in my life because when CNN fired me and I had no job, I had to remake myself. And I remade myself in the form of a business person. And I started this company and it went public and it's a billion dollar company. And who the hell knew? I didn't know that I could do that. But I found out when push comes to shove, when you're stretched, when you have to, you find it and you find that thing. And then suddenly you wake up one day and you go, I, I thought I was going to be poor and I was going to lose my house, which I did, by the way. But uh, somewhere along the line, you you find it, and it's that spirit, it's that thing. I don't know what the hell it is. It's a very Latino thing. It's a very immigrant thing that gets us to the next level, and I was able to do that. And now I'm in the process of doing another couple of businesses. As you know, this one, Agua Media, where we do the Rick Sanchez podcast, is one of those. This is a startup. It's important. And what do we want to do? We want to do something that's different that nobody else has done in a manner in which nobody else has done it, right? That's usually what works best. And now I'm doing another one, which is a roll-up, which is in the automotive industry, which is going to be a lot of fun too. And I think that's going to be a super home run. But all these things are going on and I'm thinking to myself, what the hell do I know? I know so little about this, but I endeavor nonetheless. And so far, hey, so good, right? I'm one for one in terms of taking companies public. So I wanted you to meet someone today who I'm going to learn from, because this is what he knows, and he's pretty damn good at this. In fact, I just uh, started listening to his uh, books on Audible, and, uh, and, and I'm really enjoying them because I think what you're going to take away from this conversation with Josh is that you have to go in thinking as a disruptor. Like you can't just go and go, okay, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of donut shops out there, so I'm going to start another donut shop, and I'm going to just Make it like the rest of the donut shops out there. And he'll tell you, no, you've got to figure out a way to put two holes instead of one in it or something. I don't know. Joining us now is Josh uh, Linkner. 
He's uh, wearing his dad sweater today. For those of you who are uh, listening to us on the podcast, you can't see it, but I guarantee you, he looks like Art Linkletter talking to kids. And I know that's dating myself. That goes way too back, too far back. But, but he looks great, and he's uh, and he's a great guy. Josh, let me just tell you a little bit about him. motivational speaker. Sold uh, five different companies. Um, start, you know, he started his first company when he was like twenty years old. Um, that's really young. Uh, has hired thousands and thousands of uh, employees, served on 83 different corporate boards, and uh, has already authored uh, four books, as a matter of fact. Uh, let me see if I still have the ones up that I was listening So I was listening to Big Little Breakthroughs. It's called Big Little Breakthroughs. That's uh, Josh's, I think, most recent book. He also wrote, uh, which at least what I'm seeing right now, at the he- that headlines on Audible, if you want to listen to it. I love jogging and listening to books. The Road to Intervention, right? The Road to Intervention. And without further ado, bum, ba, da, dum, bum, 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 here's Josh. Hey, buddy. Great to be with you today. It's, uh, it is the road to reinvention, not intervention. Although I suppose you could do a reinvention intervention to one degree. Did I, did I say is, intervention? Like reinvention. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> no problem. maybe, maybe it's because I feel like I need some intervention as we go into the holidays right now. Me too. So by the way, how are you doing? How's your holiday? How's your family? Everything good, man? Thank you for asking. I'm great. I am wearing a dad sweater, apparently, and I have four kids, uh, 25, 23, and six-year-old twins. But don't let the dad sweater fool you too much. I was born in the city of Detroit and started my career as a jazz guitarist. So, you know, uh, the, the dad sweater is is, is only optics. <laughs> <laughs> go Lions, go Tigers, go Motown. And it's nice to know that there's somebody else out there who overbred for I, too, along with my wife, Suzanne, have four kids. Lovely. Well, it's great, great to be with you, and I love what you're doing, and uh, you know, excited to contribute today. So, yeah, let's start with uh, the idea of what a person does, and this is particularly important this year, Josh. Um, I mean, it's looking like we're going to be heading into a recession. There are going to be a lot of people out there who are going to either lose their jobs or are just going to be going through a very difficult time. And as they go through that difficult time, they're going to have to find something within themselves to be able to somehow muster through, right, or muddle through. And 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 and, and to do that, it's you 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 have to kind of remake yourself in the process. And you talk a lot about remaking yourself. So can can, can we start there? Sure. You know, so I've spent um, 20 years studying human creativity, 30 years as an entrepreneur myself, and, and 40 years as a jazz musician. And, and what I've learned is that, that um, you know, words like innovation can feel overwhelming. But when you call things creative problem solving or inventive thinking, it, it feels much more accessible. So I'm not into innovation in, in some laboratory with, with a bunch of PhDs. I'm into sort of like everyday innovation. And the notion is, is that we can all be creative and we can all find a way. As you mentioned, we're, we're, we're going into some volatile and difficult times. Uh, ironically, though, in those types of situations, some of the most successful people and organizations have were born. You look at you know companies like Disney and, and HP and others that, that were born in the middle of a recession. So even though it's going to get challenging, I, I agree. I think that the most innovative leaders and, and people find a way. And so my whole thing is helping people use their creativity, this amazing gift that we all have as human beings, uh, to deploy it in a really practical manner to find a way. And whether that's finding a way to seizing a new opportunity or finding a way to beating back the challenge, 
or, or, or handling a problem. But uh, truthfully, we could all find a way. And that, that's what I help people and companies do. You said something that I immediately wrote down when I hear it, uh, when I heard you say it. everyday innovation. Define everyday innovation, because I think you may be onto something pretty special here. Well, thank you. Yeah, yes, you mentioned my most recent book, Big Little Breakthroughs. The subhead is um, how small everyday innovations drive oversized results. You know, doing the research for this book, I spent over a thousand hours working on it. I interviewed CEOs and billionaires and celebrity entrepreneurs and Grammy award-winning musicians. And, and the truth is, you know, I, so I tried to find out how do the most innovative people think and act? What are their mindsets and habits and tactics? And, and, and words like innovation feel so off-putting. We, we for, for some reason, think that unless it, an idea is worth a billion dollars, it doesn't count. Or it has to come from someone with a fancy title or a big fancy degree. Um, the truth is, though, that, again, we can all be creative. And so everyday innovation is the notion of not these wild swing for the fences, high-risk moonshots. It's the opposite. It's cultivating a high volume of micro-innovations, little baby ones that are within our grasp, but are way less risky and very pragmatic. I mean, if, if these, these small wins start adding up to big wins. And over time, I think it's a very thoughtful, lower-risk way to be an innovator. And that's something that we all truly can be. Can you give me an example of one of those everyday innovations that you're referring to so that folks out there listening to us can kind of uh, kind of zoom in on the things they maybe be able to apply to their own businesses? Yeah, I, I opened the book actually with a fun story. There's a, so it turns out in London, the single biggest environmental challenge is cigarette butt litter. It's a plaguing problem that not only impacts London, but many large cities around the world. Hmm. And it's sort of this pesky problem, like people throw money at it, not much success. Anyway, I interviewed a guy named Trewin Restaurant, who you probably never heard of. He's not a famous dude. He's not some billionaire. He's a normal person, just like you and me. Mm -hmm. But Trewin said, I, I'm sick and tired of, of all the cigarette butt litter. Maybe I could do something about it. Trewin, normal person, invents something called the ballot bin which basically is a fun way to encourage, encourage smokers to vote with their butts. Of course, I mean their cigarette butts. Mm -hmm. So a ballot bin is this bright yellow box, a metal box mounted on an eye-level post. The front of the box is glass, and there's a divider in the middle. At the top, it has a two-part question, like which is your favorite food, hamburgers or pizza? So if I'm a smoker, I just stick my little butt in this pizza receptacle and I have an instant bar chart. I can see which of these two categories is in the lead. Huh. Point is this. It's simple. It's low tech. It didn't require a billion dollars of capital. didn't require a bunch of fancy people. But you know what? It worked. When ballot bins are installed, they reduce cigarette litter by 80%. Trevin went on to start a company. He's now in 27 countries around the world, making a real impact in this environmental challenge. And so the reason I bring this up is that when we see celebrity billionaires doing crazy things, we'd say, you know, that, that's out of reach. But I think we can all see ourselves in Trellin's story, meaning that any one of us can take an idea that we already have and, and take a small step forward and really enjoy some significant results. What is the most difficult part for a young entrepreneur, or maybe not even young, but somebody who has finally decided that they're going to go for it? They're going to make a new idea into a company and they truly believe in it. But there's that, there's, man, there's that part of them social psychologically that is very challenged because they've never done it. They're not a business person. They don't yet view themselves as the guy or the gal who can do that thing. What do you say to that person, Josh? Well, I'd say that 
I'm going to answer two ways. First of all, directly, there's never been a more a better time to be an entrepreneur. I mean, the, the cost to raising capital is much less. The, the tools that are at our disposal. I mean, when I started my tech company in 1999, one of them, you know, if I were to start that company today, it would cost me one hundredth of what it cost me to build that company. So we have costs going down, access to information. It's not saying it's easy. It's still hard, but but it's easier than it has been in the past. And 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 so the biggest blocker of of not just entrepreneurship but of creativity in all manners, it's not natural talent. That's something that we all possess. We're, we're, we're human beings are hardwired to be creative. That's mm -hmm. our natural state. The biggest blocker is fear, and so fear is that kind of that poisonous force that robs us of of seizing the moment or taking an op an opportunity. And so the answer to your question, what would I suggest? We, for some reason in our society, believe that standing still is safe and trying something new is risky. Hmm. My suggestion is I think we have it backwards. In other words, I, I've observed that we tend to overestimate the risk of trying something new, but we underestimate the risk of standing still. And so if we think it's risky to try our, our dream and start a company, how, what, what about the price of regret 30 years from now if we don't do it? What about the opportunity that the wealth that we could have created that we didn't do because we were too afraid. And so I think the answer is, is first recognizing that, what's the real risk of standing still, and then finding ways to de-risk going forward. And that could be, be taking smaller steps, it could be experimentation, but you, you don't have to like bet your entire life and company and career and family to, to move forward. There are ways to move forward in a much more deliberate manner uh, while still pursuing an opportunity. You say you started your first business when you were 20 years old. Did I hear that right? Well, actually, it's a little bit off on that. I started a tech company at age 20, but despite my dad's sweater, which you pointed out, uh, it was kind of funny. Um, I started a illegal fireworks business at age 13. I would buy uh, fireworks from this delinquent around the corner. I'd throw them in my school backpack and, and I'd hawk them in, in school. Great profit margin. I had a whole distribution system. Um, I got busted by a regulatory uh, uh, governing body, which was my mom. We found all my profits in my uh, in my underwear drawer. I guess it was a uh, perhaps it was a treasury issue. Now that I think about it, but right. uh, kidding aside, I, I've always liked being creative. But I'll tell you, I, I'm no more creative than anybody else. I just give myself permission to be creative. Hmm. And, and and I've seen people who are who self-identify and say, "Oh, I'm not creative. I don't have a creative idea in my mind." If you give them the, the permission and some structure and tools, creativity comes to life very quickly. So in other words, it's not even like learning a new skill. It's more like unlocking an existing one, which, by the way, is a beautiful thing. And I, I'm so passionate about helping people unlock this gift that we all share. Yeah, I love that about you. And, you know, you do seem to have this very heuristic quality. It comes out in your books, and it certainly comes out when uh, I hear you speak. There's something that you seem to have that some people have and some people don't. And I don't know what it is why God gives it to some people and doesn't give it to others. I think I think it's available to all of us, but some of us are just more comfortable in it. And it's, it's a word that I'm going to share with you now, which for some people is a light bulb that attracts them. And for others, it's a dark room and it scares them. And the word is money. You know, there's there's been many books written on this subject, of course. I look at money perhaps differently than others. I'm not saying mine is right or wrong. It's just how I look yeah, at it. Yeah, no, that's cool. But I, I, look at, I look at money as the as a byproduct. So for me, money is something that happens when you pursue greatness. In other words, if all you do is chase money, my experience is people rarely find it. They, they, they mostly find frustration. But if you chase, you know, serving customers, if you chase creating impact, you, you, you chase creating mastery in a field, you, you chase um, bringing out your full potential, 
the money actually comes as a byproduct rather than than the thing itself. And so I've been very fortunate in, in, in my career. I, I, you know, I'm very grateful. I don't, you know, don't take anything for granted. I remain humble, deeply humble. But um, I think the, the, the success that I've enjoyed is because, has come from pursuing other things than money in and of itself. It's come rather as a byproduct. So you've been successful and you've been able to become uh, wealthy because you never focus on the money as your goal or your outcome you focus on the value that you hope to create around yourself and your business. And that is how the, that, that would, I guess what I just said, right? Uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, eventually turns into money. I think that's right. I mean, I'm not foolish about it. Obviously, you know, I'm, I don't yeah. make a financial projection, but but the the lead, instead of the, the, the subhead, the lead is chasing something bigger than money and money tends to come as a byproduct. I'll give you an example. This, this A year and a half ago, I started my second venture capital firm. It's a $40 million fund called Mudita Venture Partners. Mm-hmm. By the way, Mudita, in case you're curious, is a Sanskrit term, which means taking joy in other people's success. Nice. So if you if you have this, you, know, you took a company public, I'm like, good for you, man. That's awesome. I, it fills me with joy to see you being successful. And so that was kind of the vibe that we were trying to create. Thank you. Anyway, our, our North Star is to create a billion dollars of return for our investors while doing a billion dollars of positive impact in the world. It's not an and, it's, a, it's, a, it's not an or, it's an and. and. And none of that says, I'm going out because I want to make X millions of dollars personally so I can buy a new Rolex. Like it's, it's to help our investors and to help the world. And I believe because of that strategy, because that's our focal point, we in turn will actually make more money than if all we were doing is focusing on money in the first place. Hmm. It's, all, it's about, you know, when we were kids, I remember we, were, we would be told usually by our moms, that you got to have your heart in the right place. And if you have your heart in the right place and you go out with the right goal to help others, you are going to succeed. And I, that, that's what you're saying. And it makes all the sense to me in the world. And I think we just have to learn how to apply these things. You also said something very interesting a moment ago that I've, that I've got to ask you about. You said one of the keys for yourself is you give yourself permission. You give yourself permission. That's an interesting that's an interesting choice of words for someone who is uh, an entrepreneur. Bring that to life for us. You know, I've said things in a meeting like, I'm in a big meeting with a bunch of big senior people at some big senior company. I said, All right, how are we going to solve this problem? Everyone's quiet. I said, okay, now imagine that it wasn't you who's going to be judged for the answer, but that you, 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 were, you were somebody else brought in as a consultant. Whether your, your idea is, you know, no one's going to hold you accountable, whatever. Now, how would you solve it? And when, when essentially they're doing is they're giving some permi- themselves permission, whiteboards are filled with ideas or I'll ask them to pretend that they're somebody else. So the, the blocker wasn't the fact that they had ideas. The blocker was this, this layer of risk and, and permission. And if we can kind of remove that, uh, ideas generally start to flourish. And again, that's what I've seen time and time again. Even people who consider themselves not creative at all become rather creative if they're in the right circumstances. Do you think this this coming year that we're hearing so many things about uh, will be particularly difficult or do you see it as uh, an opportunity uh, based on what we know about inflation, which is already here and hopefully will eventually come down, you know, interest rates? Where will the Fed stop? We we all hope eventually they stop because it seems like they're taking it to the moon. And that, of course, leads to the question of recession. 
which everybody seems to think these days that we're going to have it in some form. I don't know how bad, but it keeps a lot of people from being courageous. How about you? I think there will be difficulty, and but I do think it, it'll be most difficult for those that are unwilling to adapt and change. In other words, if you're trying to, you know, you're wearing your, your, your swimsuit and everything's perfect when it's 83 and sunny, but now it's in the middle of winter. Well, if you didn't change your outfit, you're going to be pretty uncomfortable. If you're under, and you change, you're wearing a parka, le less uncomfortable. So to me, what I've seen time and time again is that um, changes in the economy, changes in external environments, markets, geopolitical changes, et cetera, that actually, that turbulence creates opportunity for those that are willing to try something new and lean into change, to, to break existing rules, to defy traditions, to stick their finger in the eye of conventional wisdom. So I think it will unlock tremendous opportunity for those that are willing to seize it. On the other hand, I think it will create increasing difficulty for those that are so gripping, so closely you know, held to, to past approaches and past patterns that th those may have a, diff a difficult uh, problem. There's a great quote by um, an, an American poet named uh, Thule Kupferberg. Uh, and basically the, 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 the quote is, when patterns are broken, new worlds emerge. I think that's exactly what's happening. There's going to be patterns broken in 2023 because of inflation and economies and all these other things. So if we seize those patterns, we'll, we'll create new worlds. If not, we're going to have a harder time than we have in the past. When creating a new company, what's most important? Your mission, um, your partners, or your operating plan? Hmm. Well, I think they're all, I'm sure, important. I'd have to answer your, your question like a politician and not answer your question. <laughs> um, I think you're, if I were to put something actually above all those, uh, actually, I would put your values. Interesting. And so, um, obviously, you have to have a mission. Obviously, you have to have you know operating plan, et cetera, a team member, of course. Right. But um, I, I think it's, you know, the, the mission may change as conditions change, for example. Your team is going to change as the company scales, but hopefully your values are, are the bedrock that, that holds it together. You know, over the years, I built these uh, 14 operating principles that I try to live by, whether it's a company I'm investing in or one that I'm running myself. I'll give you one example. One of my values is give generously, don't keep score. And I'm not saying it to be like virtual signaling or anything. I have plenty of flaws on that. But it, um, I do feel that that's an important value for me because those that come, come to you in a, a business with a generous heart instead of a selfish one, those that go after an opportunity filled with abundance instead of scarcity, tend to see the opportunity much more than those who are you know, trying to protect uh, a smaller pie. You know, another one of mine is that as um, a rule sort of, that we have to put ourselves out of business. And the notion there is that, you know, someday a company is going to come along and put you out of business, might as well be you. And so it's this commitment to an ongoing source of disruption and reinvention rather than becoming overly committed to the way things were or are. Isn't that just another way of saying, look at yourself the way your competition may look at you and try and kick your butt every day? Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. because um, but, but that's a value. And so back to your question, I, I think, you know, locking your values is probably more important even than your, your particular mission, which is something that may change. And if you can, you can be really deliberate and intentional about the values of the company you want to build. Um, I think that's going to actually serve as a very strong, um, you know, startups are hard. You're going to have gale force wins at some point. And those values, I think, are help you hold it together. It's really important when you partner up with someone that it's not just your best friend, but also somebody who brings something to the table that you may not have. True or false? One million percent true. So as mentioned, I started my career as a jazz guitarist, and and we tend to um, hire people that look and act the way we do. But imagine if I was playing a seven-piece jazz combo with a bunch of all guitar players. 
and it sounds awful. <laughs> so in music, you want a drummer, an outright bass player, and a saxophone player. So there's there's the simplest example of diversity with musical instruments, but the same is true when building a company. You don't want everybody to have your same skill set. You want to have diversity. I tend to be more visionary, and I'm, I'm actually funny enough pretty good with numbers. I'm lousy at, at, at building tech products. I'm lousy at product market fit. I'm lousy at details. So I want somebody who's the opposite of my strengths to complement my weaknesses rather than somebody who looks and acts just like me. Usually the guys who are the great leaders who build the great businesses are, and this is, this is a real interesting question I'm asking you because I've done pretty well in business, you know, as well as the next guy, I suppose, but I'm not necessarily a Wharton school of business guy. Uh, I'm not a CFO type. I'm a marketing type. Uh, I, I'm not a pencil pusher by any means of the imagination. In fact, I would not trust my math. Um, can guys like me succeed? For sure. For sure. I, I think that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of ingredients that go into, into the stew. And, and, and sometimes there, there are cases where someone's real strength is, is numbers and, and good, good for them, but that's not the only way to, to, to create, create a good recipe. And so I think what you want to probably do is play down to what, what, what your core inherent strengths are. And, you know, maybe you're a great promoter. Obviously, you're very articulate and a great communicator. You know, maybe you have a brilliant tech vision or maybe you have a real strong sense of empathy for, for customer needs. So I don't think any of us have to be a certain thing. It's more like double down on what you're really good at and then surround yourself with others that fill in any gaps that may exist. It's always, uh, I always, I'm, I'm jealous though, when I walk into my uh, board meetings and there's that one guy though, usually either our CFO or CEO, and, and he's taking out all these diagrams and he's just punching around and, you know, and, and he's and he's doing all the mathematical stuff. And and I'm thinking, wow, that is so cool that he can do all that. And I've always thought, well, that must make them better than everybody else. And certainly better than me because I'm not, you know, able to do those things. But I realize sometimes later on, now that I'm older and now that I've been in businesses and I don't know if you might agree with this. And I'm sure there's people listening to us now and this is going to help you in many ways. As I got to know them later on and watch the decisions they made for our businesses, oftentimes their decisions were not as good as the decisions that I made or would have made because I had a better read on people and a better read on values that matter to our company and to our organization than they did, even though they are unbelievable on a spreadsheet. They're just, I can't even do a spreadsheet but they can, but that doesn't necessarily make them great business people. You know what I'm getting at? I do. I think what I would suggest to you, which sounds like you discovered, is that they're not better than you. They're better at a skill, which is spreadsheets. It's like someone saying, like, like if someone's better at tennis than me, I wouldn't say they're a better human being than I am. I'd say they're <laughs> better at tennis than I am. And so just because someone's better at a particular skill does not make them better as a human, certainly, nor even as a business leader. It just means they're better at a particular skill. So I would encourage anyone on this uh, who's listening, if you have a deficit, like if you're bad at a particular thing, that does not necessarily mean to be a fatal flaw, quite the opposite. You know, you may have some strength that, that is, is so powerful. I, I would hate for you to not pursue what's important to you, the things that matter most because of a deficit in a particular skill. So you can find someone, generally speaking, to backfill a skill that you're, you're, you're not super strong in. We've got a few minutes left, and I want to ask you about your books. I'm enjoying right now uh, Big Little Breakthroughs. I'm only about two and a half, almost to three, where am I about, uh, I'm sorry, 30 minutes into it. 
and, uh, and, 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 I, and I love your rhythm and I love where you're taking me. Can you break down for, uh, for people who may want to also go to audible and check out that book? What, 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 what will they get from, uh, from big little breakthroughs? Yeah, it, it's, it actually is the work that I'm most proud of. So, I mean, not that the other books I'm not proud of, but this is, this is the best work I've done, frankly. Um, I think what you're going to get is first, there's a pretty, uh, you know, it's not a boring, it's a story driven book around, first of all, that uh, proving the point that all of us are, are creative. And it's also demystifying this weird process that we think like you're the creative or you're not. Eh, nonsense. It's something that can be developed and grown. And so first it gives us again, permission to be creative and a lot of scaffolding and structure on how to do it. Then the back half of the book, I've identified, uh, eight core mindsets of everyday innovators. Hmm. And so we, we cover these very specific mindsets, but, but it's, and most of them are surprising, by the way. They're the opposite of what we have been taught. But it's a new way to kind of pick, to, to reframe your approach that, that actually feels very good, but more important than feeling good, it's a, it's a map to success. It's a map to success for those that may feel overwhelmed by the competition, or maybe you're an underdog, or even those that are in a, a position of authority to, to take your, your game to the next level. But it's, it's demystifying creativity. It's helping people become everyday innovators in a very fun story-led way. A couple of examples of those. One of them is called Start Before You're Ready. One of them is called Don't Forget the Dinner Mint. <laughs> hmm. uh, so, so they're fun and playful and, and a bit whimsical, but, but they're, they're very effective. And, and I, I share these principles with, with large leader, organizational leaders around the globe, many of which have applied them to, to enjoying terrific results. So if anything, this sort of de- demystifies and democratizes the creative approach that that some of the world's greatest use that, that, that normal people like you and me can put into practice right away. How important is confidence? And what if you feel like you ain't got it? You know, creative confidence, uh, and I've studied this quite a bit, it doesn't come from thinking you've got it all figured out. It more often comes from knowing you're going to screw something up, but knowing that you have the ability to course correct. Like mm. when I play a jazz gig, I, I played hundreds of them. I've never once thought that I was going to play everything right. In fact, I go in knowing I'm going to make mistakes. But again, that confidence knows comes from knowing I can I can find my way back to to where I need to go, and so no someone most people are not going to read this book walking in with any sense of arrogance like hey I'm the next Da Vinci I'm the next Mozart quite the opposite most adults don't identify as a creative person, and so that's okay if you don't come come, in, come into the book I think it invites people to tap into a part of themselves that becomes really powerful, and I'll also say that you know people express creativity in different ways. I play jazz guitar pretty well. I can't draw a stick figure if I try. <laughs> so you, you don't have to you don't have to be creative in the classical sense, like a musician or a dancer or a poet. Your creativity might be the way that you sell. Maybe it's the way you interact with a customer, the way you write a legal document. So the point is that we can find different ways to apply human creativity to seize opportunities and solve problems. I had someone say to me once, and it's maybe one of the best pieces of advice they've ever given me, and it was so simple. And he is a very, very, very successful person. Um, And he said to me, you may not be better than anybody else out there, but always remember, whether you're walking into a boardroom or tennis courts or uh, a golf course or anything, that you are as good as everybody on this planet. You are as good as anybody on this planet. In other words, you, we, we all bring the same tools. It's how we apply them and how we polish them and how we feel about ourselves in the game that uh, can make the difference for us. And I don't know why, but I always thought that was such a good piece of advice. 
that you're as good as anybody out there. And especially for, you know, people who are listening to us who are maybe Latinos and grew up in a barrio, like I did, by the way, with parents who were poor, or, you know, people from the inner city who are listening to us, women who sometimes feel like they can't speak up when they're surrounded in a boardroom by men, although some of them will put most men to shame, um, et cetera. But we, but we still need that little thing, that little kick in the butt that gets us over the, uh, over, uh, you know, that gets us off the starting block, so to speak. Yeah, quick comment, and I'm so glad you said that. That, that is true in most cases. However, there are some things that are, are not. Like, I'm 5'5 five, five on a good day. I'm not going to be as good as LeBron James at basketball. I'm just not like, I'm just not. So, so most in cases like that, many people might feel that way about creativity. Like they might feel like they're five, five in their creativity, but creativity, unlike height is something that we all share. Creativity, unlike height is something that we can all cultivate. So your point is exactly right for all of us. It doesn't matter what school you went to, what, what, what your background is, what your edge, you know, what, what your race is, your age, your gender, none of it. All of us, and, and, and I'm really on this mission to de- democratize human creativity. It's mm-hmm. something that all 7 billion people on this planet have. Why not? What, what if we all put it into practice? The world's just a better place if we're able to do that. Yeah. And, and that's cool to hear from a guy like you, Josh, because, I mean, you know, the average person out there hasn't, you know, started five companies and employed 10,000 people and done a lot of the things that you have done. And and frankly, they look at a guy like you and they're probably even intimidated by your story and by you. And, and here you are. And here is one of my mentors who told me this very same thing. No, you got it too. There, it, it's, we're not, no one's born a certain way to be able to do anything. We all have the ability. I remember, you know, I'm a kid who grew up in a barrio. My parents never made more than $11,000 a year combined income. And when I finally got a gig where I, NBC News hired me and put me in New York City at 30 Rock, and I was about to do the news and I was going to be the anchor man. I was surrounded by, uh, you know, Brokaw and Williams and all of these famous people. And I thought, I don't belong here. And I went to the bathroom and threw up because I was just so nervous. I, I can't be here. These guys are from Ivy League schools. These guys are famous. I'm some Hispanic kid from Hialeah. And it took me a long time to break through that. And today I just want to grab every other Latino kid from Hialeah or from some other barrio in America and say, when that happens, know in the end, you can actually be better than them because you know shit they don't know. You've experienced stuff they'll never experience. You speak two languages fluently. They don't, et cetera, et cetera. So it's important to know that, but it's so hard to break it through because it's that little thing inside of us that says, uh-oh, I'm afraid. You, you, you couldn't have said it better. I, I completely agree. And, and right, and just like in, in chess, like you know, every piece has strength and weakness. The queen yeah. is the most vulnerable, even though she has the most power. So... I think that all of us, it's more about discovering where we can really uniquely shine and express our own voice as opposed to trying to be a, a version of somebody else. Instead of trying to do someone else better, it's more about being bringing what, what our own unique gifts are. And it's funny, by, by the way, most of the people that have been wildly successful, the self-made ones anyway, um, are exactly that. They didn't come from a bunch of privilege. I mean, Howard Schultz was on food stamps, as I understand, as a kid. Like, I mean, the, m- many, many people have, have, have been able to overcome significant adversity. So if you find yourself in, in a tough spot, it doesn't mean that you are unable to, to rise through it and, and rise from it. Final question. And I think this is going to matter to a lot of people. You're a guy who finds great companies 
and you help those companies grow. And I think that's essentially what you do for a living, which is really cool because you do help a lot of people. And I love the way you see yourself and you see your mission in life. When you, there's only one thing I'm going to change about what I just said. You said, I said, you look for great companies and, and I bet you in great companies, what you're really searching for are the great people behind those companies. And if that's the case, and I'm right, that you're really looking for great people, uh, what is the quality or what are the qualities that you admire most in those people? Or what have you found about the people that you've chosen in the past who have been very successful that made them so? Great question. And you're exactly right. It's about people. Um, It's the opposite of what you might think. So we think of entrepreneurs like, Steve Jobs is the prototypical entrepreneur. He's brash, he's arrogant, he, he cuts people down, all this stuff, takes all the credit. That, that He was successful despite those qualities, in my opinion, not because of them. Just like Charlie Parker was successful as a jazz saxophone player despite his heroin addiction, not because of it. Hmm. What I've learned, and I've worked with, I've done you know over 100 startups, is um, the qualities that I find to be most uh, determinant of success, humility open-mindedness, coachability, willingness to share the credit and prop others up instead of trying to shine all the self, you know, the, the sunlight on yourself. Um, kindness, generosity of spirit, compassion. And these all sound like wimpy qualities. You're like, what are you going to go, you know, hug trees and wear a tie-dye t-shirt? First of all, I think they're admirable qualities just as human beings because like we ought to do those things. But even putting, putting ought to aside, I think they're actually drive success. And so I think in the old world, before the knowledge era, maybe it was let's beat your employees down and treat them terribly and, mm. and, and command and control and all that stuff. But today, that doesn't work. And so I think a more successful strategy, certainly ones that I've seen again and again, yield better results. Again, humility, open-mindedness, coachability, compassion, sharing the sunlight. A much more de- uh, humble, soft-spoken leader uh, may, may, may do not as well on a, on a PR stage, but tend to generate more consistent and predictable results. Are those those people also tend to be smarter too, right? I mean, if they have all those virtuous qualities, they tend to be smarter about things in general, and that means that they're more apt to be able to drive the bottom line well and generate revenues, et cetera. They're certainly less, they're more secure. So when you hear people, they have a big ego. Yeah. You look what ego is. They actually have a lack of ego, which means they're deeply insecure. So they need to, you know, cut people down to feel good. They need to be boastful and arrogant and all that. And and we see this in, in both business and politics. I, I think the best leaders are those that are more comfortable in their own skin. They don't need every accolade. They're willing to listen to others. And and and, and that sense of, of humility and grace actually propels the whole, whole organization forward. Then. Gosh, I'm so sorry. I said there was a final question, and now I have to ask another final question. Uh, because everything you just described makes me think of someone who happens to be in the news right now. And I, and I think the whole world, is kind of watching them transform. Maybe it's a maturity or a lack of maturity, but I don't, I don't know how to describe it. But it's weird to watch this human being as he develops as this CEO in all these companies supposedly the richest man in the world, but yet kind of weird as I watch him. Can you try and make sense of Elon Musk for us? Yeah, again, I think he's he's been successful despite those qualities, not because of them. Hmm. And clearly, you know, he, he, and again, I'm not making a political statement or anything no, like no, that. No, 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 no. It's, I it's not a politics question, no. Yeah, yeah. I did admire him as a, as, a, as, a, as a visionary. I mean, clearly, you know, Tesla, SpaceX. I yeah. mean, no question, no one can argue with that. 
Um, and as, as I do for the Boring Company, I mean, he's a brilliant visionary, perhaps even the Albert Einstein of our generation. The, the problem, though, is, or the Edison of our generation is probably better. The problem is that he lacks these other characteristics. You know, he, he he's, he's lost 50% of Tesla's market value because he's behaving in, a, in an erratic manner. Yeah. He's, he's you know, walks into Twitter and fires half the people before thinking it through and, and even thinking or caring about those people as human beings. So I actually think that that almost as brilliant as he is, the, the lack of humility, grace, compassion, et cetera, will ultimately be uh, his downfall. Not that he's going to be broke, of course not, but but he could be so much more. I mean, he could be someone that we we, we have a national holiday for or name a street after, as opposed to what he's doing now, which is rather destructive in my opinion. Yeah, it's almost about relationships, isn't it? I mean, making rocket ships or making cars is about, you know, combustible engines or non-combustible engines in the case of Tesla. Running a company like Twitter is all about people and the relationships with people. And it's about hate and love and 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 understanding. And I'm not sure that's his fort. So it almost like he's kind of a fish out of water there, it seems to me. And he's kind of uh, choking as he puts out a new tweet every day or punishes somebody or says to people who he likes, who he doesn't like. I, I don't know many CEOs who succeed by going around telling everybody their opinions or, or being even just mean. I, I don't know any mean CEOs out there these days that are successful. Yeah, I think the lesson here is that, again, he's an outlier and maybe his you know, crazy high-level genius was able to override those, those negative attributes. But for us mere mortals who are listening now, I think the real message is pretty clear. That's not a, that's not a pattern that is replicable. You know? so, so maybe work for him, but instead, let's, let's go look what we can do. Yeah. Uh, my opinion and experience is that when you treat people, again, with kindness and grace, they rise to the challenge. They become deeply loyal. They lead with their heart. They, they pour themselves into the work. Whereas if you cut them down and lead in a fear-based environment, they, they shrink up. And, and, and I certainly know that their creativity shrivels. So the thing that tends to be, unless you happen to have the IQ of, of, of Elon Musk, which I certainly do not, is, is to, you know, you treat people well, you give them empowerment instead of, instead of harshness, um, they, they rise and, and in turn, your organization rises. Josh Leekner, motivational speaker, really smart guy, uh, five companies, most importantly, a good dad. So uh, <laughs> I think that's in the end, that's all I want him to say about me. I want my kids to say, you know, my dad was a good guy. And when we played basketball, he let us win until we were good enough to kick his butt for real, which is what they do now. So, uh, hey, Josh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or wants to know more about you, is there uh, any way that they can reach you? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, just my website is just joshlinkner.com, J-O-S-H-L-I-N-K-N-E-R.com. And I appreciate the opportunity to contribute today and I wish you and, and all of your listeners tremendous success. No, no, just the opposite. We thank you for making yourself available. You're a smart guy and you're a good guy and you've got some great ideas and it's great that so many people can learn from you and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. That's really, really nice. I'm Rick Sanchez. This is the Rick Sanchez Podcast. It's part of uh, Agua Media and we're continuing to grow every single day because you're helping us do this. So thanks so much for being a part of what we do. Uh, if uh, you don't know, we're pretty much ubiquitous. So you can find us at, of course, aguamedia.com, but you can also find us on Spotify and Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you happen to see one of our clips there on uh, YouTube, then do us a favor and subscribe, as we like to say. Thanks again. Andale, dale y vamos con todo. Agua.